It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. Today we're going to take a look at Dan Quinn, one of the Giants prospective head coaching candidates. And as a reminder, you can check out all the other Giant huddle podcasts in our archive on the Giants mobile app. Podcast platforms everywhere, Giants.com slash podcast, as we look at all the Giants head coaching candidates as they try to fill that position. And to talk today about Dan Quinn, a two-parter, we're going to have Mickey Spagnola from the Cowboys uh, after this first interview to talk about his time as the Cowboys defensive coordinator. But obviously, Dan Quinn spent a long time as the Falcons head coach in front of the program, D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, longtime beat writer covering the Falcons, will join us now to talk about his stint there. D, we appreciate the time, man. I'm sure your offseason came a little bit sooner than you would have liked. I hope it's going well. Yeah, John, it's going well, and thanks for having me on your podcast here today. No, no problem, D. I appreciate you joining us. Let's get right to it. Uh, what is your 50,000-foot big-picture look at Dan Quinn's tenure as head coach of the Falcons? Yeah, uh, extreme highs, extreme lows. Uh, did get him to uh, the biggest game. And, uh, you know, first year, first time coach, you know, there were some mistakes made along the way. But uh, his players played for him. They, they played hard the whole five years. And, uh, you know, uh, I think, you know, you learn a lot the first time out as a head coach. And we saw him uh, do a much better job coordinating the defense in Dallas this year. What 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 do you think, D, that he really learned along the way and improved upon during that five-year tenure in Atlanta? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, uh, consistency, you know, not the high and low swings. You know, they, um, you know, they would start six and two and then finish, you know, uh, eight and eight and stuff. You know, uh, that was a pattern. Even in Super Bowl year, they were okay. Then they got hot and, uh, you know, rode it all the way you know, three-quarters into the Super Bowl. So I think the consistency and, and being able to maintain the team at a high level and not have all the fluctuations were the, the big lesson he learned from uh, his time here in Atlanta. Now, obviously, he was brought in because of the job he did as a defensive coach in Seattle when he was, you know, the defensive coordinator, Legion of Boom, all that stuff. But he, in Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken, he basically delegated the defensive play calling to somebody else. Was he hands off there, or did he still play a pretty big role in the defensive game planning? He he was hands on almost too much. So he started out with Richard Smith, uh, and then the second year kind of took over himself running the defense. Then he ran it for a while. Uh, then you know as things were going sideways, uh, and, and you know he gave it over to Raheem and Jeff Albrecht to call it together, which was a unique situation but you know that's what they did uh but yeah he, he he kept moving people around he had marquine manual over there uh i think consistency and oneness of mind would be um you know the way for him to go this time around he's not gonna have too many cooks over there trying to stir the pot and then nothing's getting done right uh that's another thing that uh he probably learned and picking his assistant coaches uh you know marquine was his guy uh, you know, Raheem kind of came in with Shanahan, and so uh, you know those two guys, you know, reportedly didn't get the, didn't see eye to eye on some things. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how what kind of staff he brings with him, either to New York or Denver or wherever he lands. 
How much different was it from defensive coordinator to defensive coordinator? Was it still that base cover three things? Or once he made changes there, D, did he let the D.C. kind of do what he want? Or was it still kind of that Dan Quinn system, just somebody else was calling the plays? No, Raheem went to more aggressive uh, uh, nickel packages and trying to blitz, and, you know, the 2 eight gap stuff that Blind Flores runs. Uh, it was still out of the 4-3. But, um, you know, it was a little bit more aggressive. wasn't, you know, just sitting back there and, uh, you know, trying to read the cover three zone stuff. So uh, he did have to relinquish some of that power. And uh, Raheem tried to take it in another direction as the interim coach also. Now, obviously, Kyle Shanahan is the offensive coach most linked with Dan Quinn. Is that the style he prefers? Do you think that was just a coincidence? If he gets one of these head coaching jobs, what do you think his priorities will be trying to find an offensive coordinator that's going to run that team on that side of the ball the way he wants. Yeah, I think he's going to go for, uh, you know, a West Coast disciple, Shanahan guy that could run that ball downhill. He really likes the outside zone and how it attacks the defense. And, you know, he said that's one thing that always gave his defense trouble was being able to run those stretch plays and then bring them back with the play-action passes and so forth. Fully expect him to to go in that direction again, they were uh, they had talked about it for years, and then finally, when one of them got a job, uh, you know, they got they, they hired the other one. So, and he used that job here to get him a uh, job in San Francisco. So, yeah, I fully expect him to to to, to go with that. He, it's been getting to the Super Bowl just about every other year, and um, he's going to want to continue that as part of his football operation. All right, two final questions, D. First, the Super Bowl. That is obviously the elephant in the room that you've mentioned a couple times. We haven't touched on it yet. When all in all, and you've had a chance to now look back a, a bunch of years later, what do you think Dan Quinn could have done differently for that game not to end the way it did against the Bucks? I'm mean, against the uh, Patriots. Yeah, 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 tell Shanahan to stop throwing the ball with the lead. I mean, you're <laughs> in field goal range. I mean, it's that simple. He can't. He doesn't throw that ball. Run, fall down two times. Kick it. Kick the field goal, you're gone. You're gone home, you're at the parade. Um, but they didn't operate like that. I know other coaches that did. Uh, I saw Coach Smith uh, take the take the headset from Malarkey and order like nine runs in a row in one game down in New Orleans. So, uh, you know, so if Quinn didn't, you know, Quinn couldn't step in and tell his own OC to run the ball, then, you know, who's really the head coach here? All right, and then finally, what's his personality? Is, is Quinn, uh, from what I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd like to get your take being up close, at least as a head coach. Rah-rah guy, is he like steady Eddie at press conferences? Is he an emotional? Look, he's the defensive line coach at heart. I know those, those types of guys tend to be a little bit more um, enthusiastic, for lack of a better word. How would you best describe Quinn's coaching personality? Oh, yeah, 110% energy all the time. Great guy with the media. Everybody liked him. It just didn't work out here. And, uh, you know, when uh, Shanahan left, that was a big part of what they were doing. Uh, Dirk Cutter was, uh, you know, that was kind of a match made uh, from the old regime to the new regime. And, uh, you know, that, that, that offense didn't blend well with the defense. So, yeah, yeah, great uh, guy. Everybody loves him here. It was a fun time. Uh, the players love him. Yeah, kind of collegiate in his approach with the, the rah-rah things, but I think as he gets older, you know, he'll have some energy guys on his staff to handle that part for him. But, uh, yeah, good guy to work with, certainly from the media standpoint. 
And, uh, you know, his players went out and played for him. I think that's the highest compliment you can give a coach. No question. D, we appreciate the time so, so much, man. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your offseason. We'll talk to you down the road, all right? Sure. No problem, John. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You as well. That's D. Orlando Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution talking about Dan Quinn and his tenure as Falcons head coach. Since then, he has been the Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator. To join us to talk about his time there is a good friend of the program, Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mick, uh, I know your guys' season ended sooner than you would have liked, but the sign that you had a good year is that both your coordinators are getting interview opportunities, including Dan Quinn. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's always... I guess a sign of success. It certainly didn't end the way I'm sure those coordinators wished it had uh, going into these interviews for um, for head coaching jobs. But you know, from from Dan Quinn's standpoint, I, I just think he did a remarkable job uh, turning around a defense that was historically bad uh, in 2020 for the Cowboys, giving up more points in a single season. Uh, than any team in, in, in Cowboys history, uh, to at least being an average defense. And I always thought if they could just be average, I think they finished 19th overall, uh, that they would have an opportunity to be pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just thought he did a remarkable job of uh, turning around a group that really, really struggled uh, the previous season and 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 really – came on with a bunch of takeaways that was kind of their calling card for this season. Really basic question, Mick, but I think it's appropriate. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you what, and here's what I really liked about how he coordinated the defense. And I think this would maybe credit to what he did after Atlanta fired him the previous season, and he went back and did a kind of a self-check on himself. Uh, making sure what he was doing or what they were doing in Atlanta defensively uh, was up with what's going on in the league. And I, I, you always hear this, John, that coaches say, well, you know, uh, I've got this system, but I'll make sure that I adjust my system to the players. Well, Dan Quinn actually did that. He looked at his personnel and he said, okay, I think this is what we can do. I'm not going to come in here and say this is what I do. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to adjust what I do to the personnel I have. And I thought he did a really good job. You know, they brought in a bunch of guys uh, in the secondary on one-year deals. Some of them uh, he had uh, with him in, in Atlanta. Uh, brought in a guy like J. Ron Curse, uh, who to me had been nothing more than a special teams player with Minnesota. He finally got some start the previous year in Detroit. But he looked at his defense and he said, huh, look at this guy. He's like 6'3", 6'4", agile. Uh, I'm going to use him like a big nickel and have him cover tight ends. He can be uh, my extra sort of linebacker uh, in a nickel defense. And, And the guy ended up leading the Cowboys in tackles this year. So he adjusted what he wanted to do to what Javon Jaron Curse could do, and I thought that was the thing that was remarkable. And he's always said this: he goes, "I'm not going to ask guys to do what they can't do." He said, "So my first job is to find out what they can't do, 
and make sure I don't ask him to do that. And I thought that was one of his one of his many better qualities. Yeah, I remember he was a zone heavy coach in Seattle back in the day, and he played mostly man with the Cowboys. How about the way he used Michael Parsons, who I think is really a unique talent, and and just. You know, it would have been easy to pigeonhole him into one position, Mickey, and they didn't, and it seems like they really got the most out of him. How much of that was Dan Quinn? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And, and I think that fit to what I was just saying. It was almost like he was searching for things that he couldn't do, so he wouldn't ask him to do it. But I think the more he searched for that, he found out he could do a lot more than maybe people thought. Uh, you know, here was a guy uh, that came – as a linebacker, and their plan at the beginning of the season uh, was for him to be the strong side linebacker when they used three linebackers. Well, then they got the injuries and uh, COVID things at defensive end, and it's like, well, let, let's see if he can rush the quarterback. And then there for a few games there, it was like, yeah, okay, he can rush the quarterback as a defensive end. But again, that eliminated his versatility because teams knew if he was playing defensive end, well, here's where he's lining up. Uh, <clears throat> and he learned about chipping in the NFL, right? I remember him saying one day, if, if that's chipping, I can do without it, right? Uh, but then when they got healthier at the defensive end spot, it's like, okay, now I could use him as a linebacker but not just a stationary linebacker. I can move him around. I can line him up on the edge as a fifth guy in the line of scrimmage. I can line him up at the nickel linebacker spot where he has room to roam uh, and go to the ball. I can put him out there in nickel situations, and with his pass rushing ability, I could put him in the A-gap and say, okay, we're going to rush you at times to blitz the quarterback up the middle, and it was a mismatch. Uh, for centers and guards because of his ability, his versatility, and his speed. Uh, so, yeah, so he adapted to what he did defensively to all the different things that Micah Parsons could do. And I thought that was one of the reasons they had so much success defensively. What kind of coach is he, Mick? Is he a guy that's going to be really hands-on and get in the mix? Is he more of a, you know, watch and teach later in the firm room type of guy? What's his approach and personality with the players? Well, let me give you this example. Um, I'm trying to remember who they were getting ready to play, but that team uh, offensive line was notorious uh, for cut blocking, like going down and, and trying to cut uh, the defensive pass rushers at their feet. And so they were going to do this drill and, 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 and to kind of simulate cut blocks and then teach the defensive ends primarily to get your hands on the guy when he goes down and get over him uh, and be ready for it, right? Well, guess who they used to be the guy that was going down? <laughs> Dan Quinn did it himself because he didn't want to put any of his players at jeopardy uh, of simulating a cut block. So here he is with his hat on backwards, and he's going down, right? And, and, and teaching the guys how to get away from the cut block. And, and, there, and he even, uh, if I remember correctly, he, he put the helmet on, too, just to make sure he didn't get kicked in the head, right? Uh, I can remember it, one of the, it was one of the uh, OTA practices, and, or maybe it was a rookie minicamp, mini John, and, you know, you don't have enough guys to, to play each position, right? Sure. So uh, they're 
seventh-round draft choice, Quinton Bohanna, uh, kind of twisted a, a ankle or something, and, and he went out for a play or two. And they really didn't have another defensive tackle to go in. So here's, here's Quinn, puts his hat on backwards, and he goes in there to play defensive tackle. And finally, after a couple plays, Bohanna tapped him out and says, okay, coach, that's enough, right? And, uh, but that's the guy he is. He will be in there mixing it up, showing them how to do things. You know how they do some of these, uh, these uh, pass rush drills where uh, you've got an assistant coach or maybe a, uh, a younger coach uh, with those pads on their arms so the guy can come and knock the yeah. pad down or knock their arms away. Well, he would put the pads on himself. So when you, when, when you ask if he's hands-on, yeah, he's, he's hands, legs, arms, everything he's on, right? Uh, and, and the guys really reacted to him. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure the Cowboys would love for somehow some way to keep him uh, because I always said just listening to him uh, in when he would do his once-a-week media session with us guys uh, and, and just how he interacted, I always thought if this guy got in a room for an interview, they're not going to let him go because he's got that personality uh, that you say, I want that guy on my side. Mickey, good stuff, my friend. Always good to chat with you, and we'll talk again real soon, all right? Okay, John. That's Mickey Spagnoli. Thank you for joining us on the Giants Huddle Podcast. And again, go check out our other episodes as we take a closer look at all the Giants' potential head coaching candidates to fill that position in 2022 and beyond.